Hello, I'm Simon Bowes. Welcome to the Net Hero podcast. Thanks for subscribing. The numbers are going up, so keep sharing the message, especially as we've now broken the back of January's miserable Mondays. So we're hopefully heading towards the end of the month and uh, we can see the peaks of spring, although they say it'll be a cold week ahead. Mm, now, when it comes to our conversation this week, it's a very fascinating one about embedded carbon. It's about carbon in concrete and cement, the building materials that we use. And in fact, I was stunned to find out that we use pretty much after water. Concrete's the thing we use the most on this planet. And you're not surprised, it builds all our schools, our houses, our bridges, our railways, our infrastructure. So I've got a fascinating conversation with Ian Riley from the World Cement Association coming up. But before that, I just want to reflect on a couple of things this week, <clears throat> particularly the news that the government has turned down a interconnector that was going to come into Portsmouth Harbour for Aquin. Now, the reason they've turned it down is on environmental grounds. There's possibly a, a legal challenge by, uh, I think he's a Russian investor that's behind it. It makes you wonder because we do need more energy, right? It's obvious as we're transitioning, what we've done is we've cut all our generation, thermal generation. So now we're relying on gas, which is why we're at the mercy of what Mr. Putin does and the markets. And so we're all paying so much more for the gas. We haven't gone ahead with our uh, nuclear. So we're way lagging behind with canned fracking. So if you look at it, if we're looking to get more energy into this country, we need more interconnectors. Now, there are reasons to turn these things down, and I'm sure the government looked at it and decided against it. But it makes you wonder where we are, because we are in a funny catch-22 right now, where as we try and transition, we have to make up the shortfall. To make up the shortfall, we'll need more imports. That's the basic line. Until we decide that we're going to build, or we've got to build nuclear in my view, I've always said that, we need lots more nuclear. We need more wind. Obviously, we need more renewables as and when we can. But until we're doing that, where are we going to get the power from? We're going to have to import it. And interconnectors are a brilliant way of getting uh, low carbon. It'll probably be from France, so it would be low carbon. It would be, frankly, nuclear energy. So it does make me wonder. I, I get it. I can understand that the people who live in that area are against it, and there are some question marks about it. But it makes you wonder what's going on in terms of where are strategy lies and it's a very mixed bag the other thing i think is very interesting is a story that um we're running this week about uh, pete so pete bogs pete marshes they're vital they're, they're basically carbon traps and they're drying out because of climate change so scientists are slightly worried or well, more than slightly worried they are very worried that these peat bogs and if you go down I remember going down towards um, the south coast there's a lot of them down near Southampton that these peat bogs are drying up and as they dry up they will basically destroy a very weird consequence of all this climate change ancient artifacts so things like uh, Roman materials the way that peat works is it actually it has no oxygen so it's a really good preservative and it made me think really it's very interesting these unintended consequences of climate change because you know if we're starting to lose really important archaeological finds 
it, it shows you how not one part of our lives is not touched by what's going on. So I, I urge you to definitely look at that story. And the other thing to mention, obviously, I've already said it, is we are launching our big Zero Show website on Monday. So uh, watch our social media for that and we'll give you lots more details. Now, on to this week's chat. And this week's chat, as I said, is with Ian Riley from the World Cement Association. And it's important to know that if you look at where we're going, globally, we have got to urbanise more. That's what's happening. More and more people are moving, maybe because of climate change, is being forced on us. So how are we going to make sure we build things out of materials that are least damaging to the environment? And can you make cement and concrete cleaner? Well, Ian believes you can. So have a listen to this really interesting chat. The topic for this week's podcast is quite interesting. It's a stirring topic. Oh dear, terrible guy. No, cement, concrete, building materials. As we transition to net zero, one of the things we're going to have to do is look at what we build things out of. And we've covered stuff in, in this series in the past, and we will do in the future, of new technologies. You know, people talk about new building materials, things like bamboo, think of paper, other things that people are processing and turning into kind of, you know, carbon fibres, who knows, graphene. But concrete and cement is still the building blocks of our society. It's what we build things from, from our tower blocks to our railway stations, to our nuclear power stations, to our houses. So how are we going to address the issue, which I think is a really big one, about what we call embedded carbon, the carbon that goes into making it? How much is there in it? Is it really carbon intensive? And what do we do with it all? Well, joining me today to try and unravel that is the CEO of the World Cement Association, Ian Riley. Ian, hello. Hello. Nice to be with you today. Yeah. Can you just explain to me, first of all, what is cement and what is concrete? My, my personal experience with cement has been very painful, trying to put some paving together and shoving it in with a bit of sand and mortar. So let's go through that. What, what's cement, first of all, and then what is concrete? Well, it might be easier to do it the other way around. Uh, okay, go on then. If you don't mind. Uh, so, so concrete is the material that uh, you might use for, for building something, that uh, contractors use for building uh, slabs, high-rises, you know, various, uh, various other things. Uh, so concrete is, is, is the building material that is used. And concrete is a mixture of cement, aggregates, and sand, and, uh, and water. The carbon footprint of concrete it comes almost completely from the cement. So right. there's a little bit of transportation with, uh, with the sand and the aggregates, but, but the vast majority of the carbon footprint comes from the cement. Now, cement is, um, uh, is made from limestone. Ah. And uh, limestone, of course, is primarily calcium carbonate. And the first step in that process is to grind it. And then the second step is you put it through a kiln. And in the kiln, you heat it up to uh, 1,450 degrees centigrade. And long before then, it decomposes into calcium oxide and CO2. Right. Uh, so the product from that, um, from that kiln is called clinker. And the clinker is then ground very fine together with some other materials, uh, gypsum and, and often other things as well. Mm -hmm. And that, that produces cement. And then cement is used in the concrete, or as you were saying earlier, mixed with sand in mortar, but most of yeah. it in concrete. So, so the actual, I mean, it's a very old 
uh, way of um, building, isn't it? It's, you know, we, we go back, you know, thousand years, people using bits of mud, but this idea of kind of limestone, gypsum, these things are very ancient materials we've been using. Well, concrete, of course, was used uh, famously by the Romans. So probably the, you know, the best examples are the Pantheon in Rome. Mm. Uh, and perhaps even a better example is the Hagia Sophia in Istanbul. Uh, so Hagia Sophia is, uh, is about 1500 years old. Incredible. So it's a good advert for the um, resilience and yeah. durability <laughs> of concrete. Um, I think they're on their fourth use. It started out as a cathedral and then became a mosque and then a museum. And now it's a mosque again. Uh, so, you know, the building has been repurposed several times uh, over history. It and changed at all, the technology in making it in all this time. Yeah, so the technology that we're using today is using Portland cement. And that was uh, uh, invented uh, in the UK about 150 years ago. Uh, so the technology, of course, has been perfected, but the basic concept is uh, about 150 years old. And so this was a process of taking a mixture of materials, primarily limestone, but also including other materials to produce the clinker and then the cement. If I remember my chemistry right, okay, so limestone, calcium carbonate, actually is made up of the bodies of ancient sea creatures that lived millions of years ago. Is that right? Yes, yes, that's right. So uh, you can see this most clearly in chalk. Yes. So chalk is a sedimentary rock, uh, calcium carbonate, as you say, made from the bodies of, of sea creatures. And uh, limestone is a metamorphic rock. So it's it, it started out as chalk and it's gone through some sort of pressurization, right. whatever. And uh, But uh, chemically, it's the same. So what we're looking at here is actually, you know, in a way people could understand, it's very similar to oil. You know, it's it's a fossil fuel. It's not a fossil fuel, but it's a fossil material because it's something that was the carbon was trapped in the bodies of these creatures. And then we're now sort of releasing it. And you talked about the carbon dioxide that's produced. I, I won't expect you to give me the tons of it, but is it a significant amount in the process that CO2 is released when you're making your your cement and, and you're, you're making concrete? Yeah, so if we look at construction, then I suppose the two primary materials are concrete and steel. And uh, as I said, the, the CO2 on the concrete side comes from cement. Cement and steel both account for about 7% of global greenhouse gas emission. So it's a very significant amount. Yeah. And that's um, probably about half, perhaps even a bit over half of total industrial emissions. Uh, so, you know, obviously you've got other emissions from burning fossil fuels of transportation. Of course, yeah. High generation and so on. But in terms of industrial emission, emissions, then those are the two biggest emitters. So let's look at this issue. So we all know that what we're trying to do is transition away from various things we've been doing for centuries, okay? From the way we drive our cars, the way we cook our food. When we build our buildings and houses, you know, I can't fundamentally see, before we talk about what we're doing with it today, can you see something that will replace concrete tomorrow? It won't, will it? It's, it's everywhere. It's, you're the world organisation. So it's everywhere on the planet, isn't it? That we, this is the, the way we build our buildings. Yeah, so concrete is, a, is an essential material. We couldn't urbanise without it. Uh, there's, there's more concrete used than any other material on earth uh, except for water. We use vastly more concrete than we have food. You know, it's, it's everywhere. Incredible. Uh, so, so you're right. I mean, we're not going to manage without concrete. And if we want to uh, continue to develop, if we want the 
areas of the world that are, are still developing to have the chance uh, to develop and build cities and so forth. We're not going to do that uh, without a lot of concrete. So the question really is, well, what can we do about the carbon footprint that the concrete has? Just to put uh, some numbers on it, the, um, the total emission from uh, the cement industry, which, as I say, is the majority of the concrete emissions, is about two and a half billion tons a year. That's huge. You think about that, two and a half billion tons. In terms of how much cement and concrete we're using, do you have an idea of, of kind of the, the levels that we're using daily on the planet or whether you've got the UK figures? Yeah, so I mean, in the UK, of course, has good figures, but, but globally, we have about four, just over four, 4.2 billion tons a year of cement that is, is produced and used. Right. Um, in the UK, the um, production is around 12 million tons, so it's a quite small portion of that. Yeah. Um, and the concrete used is about 80 uh, million tons. A portion of that is in, um, is in precast, and the larger proportion is in ready mix. So ready mix concrete, of course, you cast on site. Uh, precast is cast in a, a factory setting before it's shipped to the site for usage. You said right at the beginning that it's mainly in the manufacturing. So let's look at that. How do we reduce the carbon footprint of cement? So the cement industry started worrying about this a long time ago. And about 25 years ago, 10 of the leading companies got together and formed something called the Cement Sustainability Initiative, uh, which was set up under the World Business Council for Sustainable Development. And the, the commitment that they made was that they would do better than the legal requirements on a number of emissions. So CO2, but also uh, SO2, NOx, and dust. Mm. Um, more recently, of course, CO2 has become the most important of those. And, and for the cement industry, it's the most difficult to address. So the, there are three levers that we've been pulling for the last 20 odd years. Um, that have helped us to reduce the carbon footprint per tonne of cement produced. And the first of those is energy efficiency. Uh, so reducing the amount of fuel and electricity that's used to produce uh, a tonne of cement. Um, the second one is fuel substitution. So instead of burning coal, burn a fuel that's derived from uh, waste or biomass or, or other you know, lower carbon fuels. And then the third of them uh, comes back to the way in which cement is made with a blend of clinker and other materials. And so the third of those is to reduce the proportion of clinker that is used in cement. And so, uh, of course, in doing that, you have to be careful to still produce a cement that has the properties you need. You, you know, you can't dilute the clinker to the point of where course. it doesn't work. So that's the, the, the challenge. There's a balance of, of performance against the CO2 footprint. So we, we've been working on those for, uh, yeah, 25 years at least. And the per tonne carbon footprint of cement has come down by about 25% in, in that period of, of time globally. Right. So it, in the cement industry, we've always thought, well, the problem is our problem. You know, we're generating the CO2 and, and, and we have to find a way of, of fixing that. But what has changed, I think, in the last few years, perhaps the last two or three years, is that uh, the downstream customers in concrete and in construction have started to care about this issue of embodied mm. carbon. Yes. And some of the most interesting developments and some of the most interesting uh, possibilities for 
uh, reducing or, uh, or even eliminating the, the carbon footprint of concrete are in looking at the way in which concrete is made uh, rather than the cement side of things. So of course, work needs to continue on the cement side to reduce the cement footprint. Yes. But there are some other things that we can do on the, on the concrete side, uh, which uh, potentially have a, a quicker return. I'll explore that in a second, but let's just go back to this point because you talked about the efficiency. Now, obviously, we know that the world is transitioning away from coal. Even COP26 seemed to show a real hopeful global push towards reduction, even though they haven't committed uh, to complete eradication. But that's the thing you burn. What are you doing now about that? So are you exploring things like as an industry using hydrogen? To, to fire up the kilns or electricity. You talked about energy efficiency as well. What sort of efficiencies have you already made? What, what, what are the sort of things you've looked at and, and done that have been helping to contribute to this kind of quarter 25% reduction? Okay, so to take the first of those in terms of fuel. Uh, so one of the things that characterizes the cement industry is that the value of the product, the price of cement, you know, the, the value of the product per tonne of CO2 is extremely low. Uh, so if you were to compare with, with steel, you've got uh, steel prices are, are much higher than cement. So steel, steel yeah. with a conventional uh, production of steel, you might have uh, more or less two tons of CO2 per tonne of steel, but steel is selling, the price fluctuates a lot, but it's selling at a much higher price than cement does. You know, with cement, you've got uh, about uh, six or 700 kilos of, of CO2 per tonne of of cement, but a selling price, uh, an ex-work selling price uh, around the world, which might average perhaps 75 or 80, $80. So the, the um, revenue per tonne of CO2 is, is very low. And the energy usage per tonne of cement is very high. So it's extreme, the economics of producing cement are very sensitive to your energy costs. Of course. And, and so in order to change away from uh, coal, there are some things that you can do, such as using waste-derived fuels, which potentially can reduce your costs or at least not increase your costs uh, using RDF, you know, refuse-derived fuels or, or, or various other waste materials, paint sludges, these sorts of things. Um, but if you wanted to move from coal to gas, in most countries, you would go out of business because you wouldn't be able to compete with because, your... Because of the finances, yeah, it, yeah, it doesn't you stack You wouldn't up. be able to compete with your competitors who yeah. continue to use mm. coal. So in order to move away from coal on a wholesale basis, there will have to be some kind of uh, regulation uh, to push the industry that way. Technically, uh, you know, uh, the cement industry can use any kind of fuel source. Uh, so it really is an economic question. And of course, that comes down to uh, government policy in, in, in different places. So sorry, that, that, that was the first part of your question. And the second yes. part was on, was on fuel efficiency. Yeah, energy efficiency, yeah. Energy efficiency, sorry. Uh, yeah, so, so on the fuel efficiency side, um, there have been a number of process innovations going back, you know, really since the beginning, you know, going back as, as long as you like, uh, that have found ways to use less energy. So more efficient burners. A cement plant is essentially a sort of heat exchanger. You start with a preheater tower, where you're, you're using the um, exit gases from the kiln to, to heat up the material before it goes into the kiln. And then after you um, come out of the kiln, you have a cooler. And all of that heat can be recovered and reused. Uh, so, and, and ultimately, what you can't reuse in the process, you can use to generate electricity in waste heat power generation. 
So those sorts of technologies have probably over the last 20 or 30 years have probably improved energy efficiency by yeah, around 30%. In the, on the electricity side, the traditional milling was bore milling, and bore milling is, is not very uh, energy efficient. And, those, and bore mills, uh, in, in new plants at least, more, uh, you wouldn't have bore mills today. You'd use more efficient uh, mills such as uh, roller presses or vertical mills. Uh, so uh, a combination not only of the milling, uh, but also of the optimization of uh, airflow, so the reduction of uh, fan sizes, other things, but primarily around fans and milling, have also allowed a similar sort of 30% improvement in overall power costs. In the newest plants, the power costs are very much less than they used to be. If we go back to um, an average plant, let's say in Europe or North America, you might see that the power costs to produce a clinker are about 80 kilowatt hours per ton. Mm -hmm. And in the, in the newest plants that you see now in China, then they're down at about uh, 40 to 45 kilowatt hours per ton. But in addition to that, you've got um, waste heat power generation, which is taking care of perhaps 30 or so of that. So you've got a net power of perhaps uh, 12 kilowatt hours per ton you know, versus a plant that might've been built 20 or 30 years ago that would have been at 80. So you can see in some areas there've been very substantial improvements, but yes. overall something like 30% is probably about right. If we look at where we are now, then, so you, you, you know, it, it's quite interesting. You're the World Association. So you, you've got how many countries are a part of your, your group? Well, it, it, we have uh, members from uh, around the world. I, I think we probably have about uh, uh, 25 com uh, countries represented. Mem members, we yeah, have about 80 members altogether. Right. And where, we, where in the world for us as layman people would, would you say, oh, that's, that's the home of because I've been to southern Italy, as I said, my uh, other half, her, her father was in the business, and there's a lot of uh, cement works down there. India, I know, definitely has some. China, obviously. Is it a global industry, or is it certain parts of the world that it's really big? Uh, it's, it's certainly a global industry. As you said, traditionally, the Mediterranean, both the European side and the North African side, have had very substantial uh, cement consumption. Uh, today, 57% uh, of cement consumption is in China. Of course. So that's the, the, the vast yeah. majority. And, and after that, uh, India is about another 10%. Uh, so you can see that two thirds of the world, world's production is in those two countries. And here's the, here's the way it all it wraps up, because as you said right earlier on, you said to be more efficient, you couldn't do it because of the cost. You, you, you might go to gas, but you'd be out of business. So we need some legislation to get rid of the coal air, air, you know, part of this equation, don't we, globally, for, for India and China and other places. Say, right, we're not going to make it with coal. Then everyone can start to reduce at that core element one of the big issues that, that stops it being financially efficient. And that's a, that's a real important point. You know, you can't put people out of business. You've got to make sure that this continues in a way that's... right. So do you think there's got to be... Is your organisation sort of lobbying to say to governments, come on, let's have a let's end coal, for example, in in the use of uh, cement production? So I think we, we, we also before we get on to that uh, specific point, we should just put this in the context of where do the emissions come from? Yeah, so the emissions come primarily from the limestone, not from the coal. Yes? So it's, it's that decomposition of the limestone. When, when you have um, a ton of clinker, you started off with 1.6 tons of limestone. 
right? And the other 0.6 tons is CO2 that's gone up the stack. It's bubbled up, yeah, it's bubbled okay. away, yeah. So, so um, the, the critical thing is how do you reduce those process emissions? Uh, so, of course, reducing the fuel emissions is, is important because that's most of the rest of the third. You know, electricity is relatively small. Yes. And, and in terms of um, uh, new technologies, then hydrogen and electrification are certainly possible, but they're, they're expensive at the moment. So they're not something that is going to happen overnight. The quickest thing probably would be uh, changing that to natural gas. But as you say, that's a question of, of having legislation that bans the use of coal. Right, but before I before we spend more time on that, I think it's important that we look at the concrete side of the um, the question as well, because the, the new technologies that are being developed fall into, I guess, around concrete uh, fall into three categories. The first of them is in using alternative cementitious materials. Now, th this is something that has been done for a long time, and these materials can be blended into the concrete or they can be blended into the cement. So the way that you reduce the clinker factor in cement is by uh, blending in alternative cementitious materials. What, what does that mean? What's that? Sorry, did you say cementitious? Did you say? Yeah, so, so these, are, these are other materials that have a cementitious property, right? Um, but they're not as good as clinker. So, what you, sort you, of things would these well, be? Primarily, uh, it's uh, around the fly ash, slag, and then uh -huh. there are other things. Limestone has been used for a long time, and calcine clay has been used not very extensively, but also for quite a long time. I and see. one of the more recent developments is the um, development in, in uh, Zurich and the uh, University in Lausanne, what they looked at was using calcine clay and limestone in a particular ratio, roughly a two to one ratio. And they found that this had a very synergistic effect so that the blend became a much more effective cementitious product and was able to replace a more significant amount of the, of the clinker. And potentially this, this cement, which is called LC3, can reduce the clinker factor down to 50%. So that's wow. a very big saving versus yeah, absolutely. Um, and there are other, other technologies that are being looked at in terms of how can you increase the quality of these alternative cementitious products and also how can you use materials that currently are not available. So that probably the best of these um, uh, alternative materials is slag, ground granulated blast furnace slag. And... Um, that's in relatively short supply. The supply is reducing as the steel companies look at different processing options, uh, again, to reduce their carbon footprint. So if you use more slag in your cement, somebody else is using less in theirs. So that may help you, um, you know, in terms of your green credentials, but it's not really helping too much in terms of the overall situation. Yes. Uh, but there are technologies that people are developing uh, that upgrade cementitious materials. So cementitious materials that previously perhaps were not good enough to be used can be used. And so one of those is uh, a company called Carbon Upcycling, which is a startup in, in Canada. And, and they um, uh, use a process to take uh, uh, poor quality fly ash and make that something that can be used in, in cement. There's a lot of interest in using uh, commonly available materials. So Again, in looking at clays, um, so calcine clays, if you want to calcine clay, that requires quite a lot of uh, equipment. Uh, so there are ways of using clays without calcination, which again is an area 
you know, it's a research area. So these are areas that people are looking at to try to find alternative ways of producing concrete, but without the uh, CO2 footprint. So we're looking really here at science. We're looking at geochemists, geologists, they're now going to be part of the solution. Because as you said, there are process things that are happening, which, you know, engineers can help us with. There's obviously politics. You've got to get people to say, let's all have a level paying field by getting rid of coal, for example. But are we looking at basically now for us to, to make our concrete, to make our cement greener, are we looking at basically reinventing the way we, we make it now? Is that what you're saying? We, we need scientists to help us well, make this let, let me just finish up the other technologies and then, then um, let's on. just look at where that, where that stands in, in that context. So the first one, as I said, is, is looking at the alternative cementitious uh, products. Uh, the second one is, is looking at direct carbonation. So normally to produce concrete, you first you, you add water, you hydrate, uh, and then you go through the hydration into the, um, into the carbonation. And uh, there are a couple of companies that have been looking at how you directly carbonate. So this only applies to precast at the moment. So you have to put the pieces in a chamber, which is uh, full of basically hot uh, CO2. And then uh, the advantage of that is that you get stronger concrete because of this direct uh, uh, carbonation, but it, it requires some special equipment. Uh, so this is, is, is a possibility. It allows you to use, because, because the concrete is stronger, it allows you to use less cementitious material uh, to get the same quality of concrete. So that's the second type of uh, technology. And then the third type is producing synthetic aggregates. So in other words, producing aggregates out of CO2. And then, so those aggregates, of course, have a negative carbon footprint. And then you can take those negative carbon footprint aggregates mixed into a concrete to reduce or even make negative the carbon footprint of the concrete. So generically, those are the three types of technology that we see a lot of being worked on. Most of them are very early stage. Um, there are a few examples of, of commercialized technologies um, perhaps um, the best known is is carbon cure, which is using this direct carbonation in the um, in the ready mix uh, mixers before the concrete goes out to the site. But there are quite a few companies operating in this space using different methods to to try to do the same sort of thing. And, and really, what you're doing is almost what you were talking about at the beginning with the the coral and the, uh, the, the, you know, the small sea animals compressing into chalk, it, it, you're once again you know, taking calcium oxide or magnesium oxide and making it into calcium carbonate. So you're, in a way, it's a circularity. It's bizarre. Indeed. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of the science point, then, is that where you think it'll go? We will start to have new ways, um, whether it's geologists or geophysicists or chemists, whoever come up with it of making these materials because fundamentally it seems from what we've discussed the material is a great one for building going on for millennia so we know it works there's an element of circularity in it which could be expanded upon so do you think in let's let's go forward right let's go 50 60 years from now do you think we'll still be using concrete but it'll be a very different kind of concrete that to where it is or it'll be the same thing but much much lower carbon footprint so i think you know all of these things that we talked about are all going to be developed and and some some of them will be successful some of them won't but um in the it, if you look 40 years in the future then I, i'm sure we'll still be using concrete i think concrete is 
as I said earlier, an essential material, but some of it is going to be made in a different way. Now, if you're building a, a bridge, you probably don't want to take too many risks, right? So you probably want to use what is the most proven materials. But if you're you know, building a, a parking lot, you might say, well, you know, if the concrete cracks, it, we can repair it. It's not, it's not the end of the world. So you're probably willing to take a bit more risk in these semi-structural or non-structural applications than you are in the structural applications. So I, I think we'll see a, a whole range of things happening, and the net result of that will be a much lower uh, carbon footprint. Uh, you know, there are technologies such as carbon capture and storage, which can also yeah. address the residual emissions that are left in the cement plants. So I, I think it will be a combination of all of these things. We talk about, you know, if you look at what's happening with carbon capture, and it's an interesting point you raise. What we're looking at is what was carbon in the form of oil and gas being sucked out of holes in the sea. And then now we're thinking of when we do carbon capture, we pump that carbon back into where those holes were. Do you think that with this whole idea, as you said, that builders, people who commission buildings, you know, they're all looking at this, that there'll have to be an element for your industry to, to do much more of this carbon capture? To, to make it almost circular. You talked about elements of it that, you know, tag into the steel industry. Well, yes, that sounds really great. If you can use the waste products from steel and then put it back into to cement making and all of that. Where do you see that whole element of kind of working to do much more of this carbon capture to try and ensure that what we get, you know, when we're building it, we can go, look, We've tried to reduce the embedded carbon as much as we can because we know the raw material has been produced in that way, in a circular way. Yes, I think this is a very interesting topic. And, and as you probably know, the, the UK is, is perhaps uh, uh, leading the world in terms of circularity. And in the building material industry, at least, you see a great deal more interest in the UK than most other countries in, in reusing building materials. Yeah. Part of that, of course, is the landfill tax in the UK is, is high, and so there's quite a, a financial incentive to do it. But there's also a growing awareness on the part of developers. But remember, a lot of, a lot of concrete is used on public or publicly funded projects. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Um, something probably over half globally, uh, but say around about half of, of uh, concrete is used on public projects. So, so governments can have... Uh, a very direct influence as consumers uh, if they choose to do so. And of course, in the UK, the government has chosen to do so and has required infrastructure projects in the UK uh, to uh, consider how they are assisting in the requirement, the legal requirement that we've signed up to to get to net zero by, by 2050. So uh, circularity and, and low carbon aren't quite the same thing, but they do very much go hand in hand. And they represent a, a different way of thinking about the challenges that, that we face. So the, um, the opportunity, I think, is in upcycling construction waste. So a lot of construction waste at the moment is, is really downcycled to a very low value usage, a sub-base usage or something like this. And, and the opportunity in, is to in foundations, things like that, just chucked yeah, in. Yeah, well, or even below the foundations, you know, mm. there's, there's clearly a, a big incentive to use it on site so it, it doesn't or, or, to, or to recycle it in some way. Um, but the, the, I think the opportunity, and this fits in with some of these technologies that are looking to 
sequester carbon, uh, CO2 in uh, concrete, there's an opportunity to upcycle those aggregates so that they have the same kind of quality levels as, as uh, virgin aggregates, uh, can replace more of the, the rock that has to be mined at the same time as absorbing CO2. So the two come interestingly together. Um, and uh, I think we'll see over the next few years that a number of companies, you know, trying to put the pieces together, uh, both to improve circularity uh, and to reduce CO2. It's great. My final question is this. It seems to be um, a very interesting industry you're in, and it's probably one that the public know very little about, and yet it's so vital to what we want to do in terms of net zero. Are you slightly frustrated? Because everyone can see a wind turbine, everyone can see EVs, but we don't really look at concrete. We don't think about the energy that goes, because it's kind of, and it's a bit like when people see meat, in the, they then look at what happened to it, how you got the meat uh, uh, in that cellophane in the supermarket. Are you slightly frustrated that actually it's from what you've given us today, the figures, the amount it's used, you know, the, the, the second biggest resource after water that we use on the planet, that it's not given enough intention in terms of how vital this area is in our sort of pathway and our ambitions to net zero. But one of the things that I think is, is very interesting is how the conversation on, on climate has started to change that. Uh, so I think that the uh, cement and concrete industry and, and construction as well uh, are getting a lot more attention for all kinds of reasons, but the climate is certainly a, a big reason. Uh, so today we see more innovation in the sector uh, than we've seen for many, many years. The innovation is coming both in the construction sector, you know, which is our, our customer, and in the construction material sector, primarily geared towards reducing the, the carbon footprint. So I think, you know, perhaps cement um, has a reputation and perhaps it was deserved uh, in the past of being um, an industry that didn't change much. But I think the pace of change that we see now in this response to uh, climate change and, and to some extent uh, technology, uh, digitalization and, and other technologies that are affecting our customers in the building industry, uh, it's, a, it's a very exciting area to work. So I'd encourage any uh, uh, young people who are listening to uh, consider it as a career. That's a fantastic way to end. Ian, thank you very much for your time. I think it's been a fascinating chat and one that I've really wanted to tackle for quite a while because I think, you know, we have to look at what we're doing to build in the future and the embedded carbon part of that is really important. Thanks for joining us on the Net Hero podcast today. Thank you. Thank you very much, Summit. It's been a pleasure. Ian Riley there. And I really would suggest we think much more about that the whole area of embedded carbon will be really, really important. Now, before I go, two things to mention. One is the launch of the Big Zero show. It's happening on June the 21st. We'll be launching the website next week, so make sure you check out our social media. It's an event you won't want to miss. And remember, it's free if you're in the energy sector. So we'd love you to come along, particularly if you're using lots of energy and you're looking for the way to start. As I said, this year is about doing you're looking how to start on your net zero journey then don't miss it for the date in your diary 21st of june coventry uh, at the rico arena which is now called coventry building society arena cvs arena so 21st of june and the other thing to mention is that it's our second birthday this week can you believe it two years ago absolutely we launched 
Future Net Zero. It's gone on from strength to strength, especially when it launched at the start of a, a pandemic volume within about four weeks. So I'd like to just say thank you to all the partners and supporters on the platform. So thanks to all my team that worked really hard and have worked so hard over the last couple of years to bring you the news, the features, the commentary, and also to you for listening, for subscribing, to get involved. We need to make sure that as we transition to net zero, we're doing things that are good for us, good for the planet and good economically. And I hope that you find the site and the content very, very useful. If you've not visited futurenetzero.com, I'd urge you to do so. Please continue to support us, subscribe to this podcast, share it with your friends. Thanks very much. Catch you next week. You've been listening to the Net Hero podcast with Summit Bose from Future Net Zero. Visit our platform for all things Net Zero. And if you or your business is doing great things on the path to Net Zero and want to be featured on the podcast, email nethero at futurenetzero.com. Follow us on social media. futurenetzero.com. Better business, better planet.